Hey guys, uh, welcome to this week's episode of Midwest Flyways Podcast. I'm your host, Joey. Cal and Connor are not here, and I am in Nebraska with Keaton Rowe, Sam Chatworth. <laughs> that was not even close. <laughs> we'll say it then. Chadwick. Chadwick. And then we've got Derek Helms, who does not have his own mic or headphones. And that's probably a good thing, honestly. <laughs> that's actually a really good thing. We might he'll keep still, it that way. still hear him. Exactly. So, Keaton, say your voice real quick. Say something. Yep, I'm right here. You're Keaton Rowe. Yep, Keaton Sam. And you're Sam. And then I'm your dad, Joey. So, let me start off this podcast by introducing our sponsors. We have Quick Trip Gas Stations, literally the best gas station in the world. My girlfriend's trying to call me during the ads. Um, best gas station in the world. Go check them out if you want to get really good bacon, egg, and cheese croissant sandwiches. Okay. Or, and if you don't want to wipe the toilet seat before you sit down after your morning coffee, okay? This podcast is also sponsored by Onyx Hunt. Um, we have a 20% out off discount. Wow. 20% off discount code MWF20. And um, this podcast is also sponsored by Camo Retro. If you guys like old retro camo, you don't want to look like everyone wearing Sitka, go check that shit out. It is bomb. Logan is the man. And let's get into the podcast. Guys, I'm really sorry about being so rusty on doing the beginning ads. I'm just absolutely flabbergasted. And I think it's because I whiffed on a bluebill at about 10 feet today. During breakfast. During breakfast. Breakfast. Can't do that. Can't. <laughs> you can't do that. It's not like you was too far out there either. I mean, no. He was just hanging nope. in the wind, just laughing at you. It was the second pass, too. You knew he's coming. I know. Dude, I was the only one with a gun. And make matters worse. Like It's one of those shots where you pull up and you know your first shot's going to miss. <laughs> and then your second shot corrects. Once they like start to fly away into the wind, then you can kind of calculate. And I only had one shell in my gun. so Classic. Not good. You'll have that. Not good. So, Keaton, I just want to say thank you for uh, letting me stay at your place here. It's fucking dope. Thanks, dude. Seriously dope. Like this barn that we're in right now, it's my dream. <laughs> it's my dream. It's uh, it's awesome. <laughs> and I got to say, this is probably the I don't know third or fourth time hunting like on a major river system like this. And you guys definitely know what you're doing. <laughs> like, dude, that the place on the Missouri that we were at today was so fucking cool. JCDC baby. JCDC. That place is so sick. Like I said, I've done like four major river systems like that, and on a different section of the Missouri as well. And I don't know, like it felt like I was entering Lake Catahoula in Louisiana, and there's mm -hmm. just spreads everywhere set, mm -hmm. and they don't get moved the whole year, and it's like just based on the honor system. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, that's more Chadwick's department. He's the river rat. <clears throat> All right, river rat. Yeah. Uh, Mike, JCDC, Mike closer. it's Jim Clark Duck Camp. Uh, place kind of got handed to us, and i've grown up hunting this stretch of river that we were on today i've been hunting up there my whole life right where we sat today we've been hunting that for 10 years that you area. shoot your first duck right there shot my first duck thousand yards down over from there so yeah. i mean like that's that's my place that's my happy place and for me when when i'm out there i feel like i'm going back in time like as soon as you get to the camp and you get to the river boats in the water you're out hunting whatever it be you just you feel like you're back in time. It feels like, dude, years you could ago. you could feel the tradition and the heritage there. It's cool, man. The and, second you uh, stepped into that, that's lodge, why I love it. What you were talking about with the permanent blinds and how stuff stays out for most of the season, everyone kind of just mans a post. Uh, it's been being done that way for the past hundred years, on that exact stretch. For the past hundred years, almost every single year, there has been the same string of blinds lined up and down that river. And there's an older gentleman that hunts downriver from us. He's been out there since, shit, the 60s. Yeah, long time. And he's still out there by yep. himself. I mean, he'll have Toodles some out in his boat every, get some help, every morning of the season. Doesn't matter. He's out there. That's incredible. It's nuts. How old is he? Like 75? At least. Yeah, it's insane. At least. He can barely get in and out of the boat, and he still does it. 
He doesn't care if he dies out there. Like, that's where he wants to die. That's so cool. Blinds are set the same way. We hunt the same kind of areas of sand. Blinds usually face the same direction every year. You can pretty much find the same number of decoys in every spread for the most part. I mean. It don't change much year to year. It's. I mean. It's very old school. I mean, you got pretty much your your sandbar, and that's your sandbar. Like, sure. It's pretty. I mean, like we were talking about with the stakes, you know, how we have the stake that says JCDC, jimclark.camp, right? Well, that's pretty much how you like stake your spot. Like, well, you were saying that it's all public. Yes. Right? All of it's all public. However, the first day of the season, Not you even. go out there and yeah. lay claim to your area of the sandbar, right? Pretty damn much. Yeah. I yep. mean, <clears throat> it's like, it's there's not a ton of spots to hunt out there mm-hmm. because I mean there's there's fast current and it gets pretty dang sketchy. I mean you saw today when we got that wind, it was it got it got pretty gnarly. Well, what what were the gusts? Fifty? I don't know if it got there today, but tomorrow it's supposed to. It probably got up to forty today. Yeah, dude. When we Gust were launching, when we were launching the boat in the dark when it wouldn't start. Standard. And then we and then we watched the other party go uh, up river, and we went down river, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and watching that boat instantly get swept away in the current in the darkness, I'm like, oh fuck this, <laughs> <laughs> fuck this, dude. And there's just like huge waves right there. I'm like, isn't oh that my ripping God. like seven mile an hour? That current? Yeah, definitely. At times, it'll Something. get ripping. And the cool part about where we're at is the river's natural; it's not dredged, so it winds all over. It has its it's like its the wide only parts stretch and its in the narrow parts. River that hasn't been touched. <clears throat> and uh, so. It runs naturally, and it gets dangerous in a lot of places, and it gets really strong. I mean, that water spread out across a really large area, but the majority of the water is in your in your chutes. Your that main current run where gravity pulls them for the most well, part. And we're we're running at literally full bore this morning with a shitload of gear and all this, and you're hugging the right side of the river, and I'm just thinking to myself, why aren't you going down the middle? Because I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my god! You don't want we're gonna we're gonna hit a random reef log. after reef after reef. Of you'll sand. run in, you'll beach that boat so fast going down the middle of the river. And he's like, we've maybe got a swath of like four feet where we cut across the river, and I was like, okay, we're gonna die. No, we're gonna die. That's why. Yeah, he's the only one yeah, I'll we're let my drive. Down. We're coming down. He's the and only he, one I'll let drive the and boat. Joey looks at me. He goes, "So, like, how deep is it right here?" And I was like, "Well, it's twelve feet under us right now, but here in about fifty yards, it's gonna we're going to take a left, <laughs> left turn across a narrow little chute. That's going to be about three foot. And if you don't hit it planned out, you're stuck. And you stick a boat out in the middle of them sandbars. You have to not walk that boat three, four hundred yards to get it back into a channel where you can motor and plane out again. Sure." Mm. But if you don't know your lines, yeah. if you don't know where the sand is, you're going to have a hard time where we're at. And where where I was hunting on the Missouri previously, I knew a guy who's been hunting it for 30 years. And he's like, the sand is constantly moving. Mm-hmm. Constantly moving. It just deposits in different it's areas. Unreal. Is that the same here yeah, as well? Oh yeah. The it's, sand moves. It's, it's crazy. Um, you'll see a sandbar stay in the exact same spot for three years straight. Water rise, water change. I mean, it'll change. It'll move a little bit, and it'll sit there for three years. And then you'll come up one day, and it'll just be gone. It, it just disappeared. It's been completely washed away because the channel changed on the top side. More water now got brought to it, and within 24 hours, just gone. 800 yards of sandbar disappeared. Our biggest battle is water level. <clears throat> sure. Because towards the end of the season, they'll start dropping it. So, like, drop it, drop it. Cause, like, know, like lock and dam? Yeah, they'll lock we'll it Open up. up the dam? No, so they'll lock So we have a dam it. above us, and they'll choke us off. Oh, okay. Yeah. They'll, quit, they'll quit releasing water. So right now we're running at probably 30,000 cubic feet per second. That's about where the water level is right now, and that relates to how much they're letting out. And by the December 1st, it'll be down to 12,000. It's going to be a crick, dude. So There'll be more 30, sand in the water. It'll be half of what it is right now. The boat ramps will be shit. Boat ramp will have a five foot drop off on the end of it. That's crazy. We'll be so pushing we'll the boats the, off the we'll trailer be, or, or leaving we'll them in the leave water. The boats in the water. <laughs> My God. But no one else hunts out there late season besides us. It's way too sketchy. It's hard. Sure. <laughs> it's hard. You got to really want them. So you guys are the ones ruining your boats and. Oh yeah, last year we made we made an eight mile trek upriver. That's where all the ducks were. Mm-hmm. And 
one mile into the trip, his dad hit a deadhead, like, foot below the water. Just a f- stump sticking out. Yikes. And uh, cracked the trim cylinder on his on his motor. Like, the whole cylinder was out of, the, like, a crack <laughs> all the way down it. So, we, so like, the next seven miles and the next eight miles back, we had no trim. Oh, my God. On a river that you need trim. And he couldn't plan <laughs> out. Yeah. Sure, he putzed up the river at four mile an hour. Dude. Oh, my God. With a we, boat full of people. Guess what? And then my boat broke down yeah. about three miles after that and started doing the same sort of thing. Putzing. Yeah, Fucking it's a rough hate. river, dude. Guess what? What? Yes, we killed ducks that day. That's exactly it what I was going to say. It was a good day. It was worth it. It was. I don't How much did that cost? It was a grind. I don't think anybody in the state killed ducks that day. Hmm. Like, it was... They were, they were so stale. It was tough. Like, they were the most stale ducks I've ever seen. Sure. Like, not fly stale all day. And we just got up there one day where magically got in between two of them and two spots where they were sitting, you know? Mm-hmm. Pretty lucky, honestly, where we got set up and... They just started trading. We started shooting ducks, and we're like, "Shit, a shitty day turned into a pretty damn good one pretty fast." Nice. Ended up sitting out there till dark, and shit, I don't know. We killed through like twenty greenheads or something. That's awesome. a good day, dude. It was like the it last is. week of the season, <clears throat> and I mean, out here, it really—it's never been about the numbers for us because it's not mm-hmm. consistent. You you don't consistently go out and shoot limits of greenheads. You okay. have to really work for it, and you pretty much you just have to wait for it. It's I mean, you can, you can make guesses with the weather and have a pretty good idea when stuff's going to happen, but there's those days that you would never guess that turn out to be great, mm-hmm. and you don't know if you're not there. Like the afternoon hunt last year, we went out <clears throat> trying to shoot a couple of green heads. We're like, yeah, let's just go. What, and we, we had 10,000 10, fly over our head, go to feed, and we broke down like every flock. It was Jeez. like the sickest hunt of the year. It was year. crazy. <laughs> Unexpected. <laughs> had no clue those birds were around. Yeah, it was nuts. So do you guys like gain your... Or do you like I'm trying to say this without sounding super dumb, but do you like gain your identity as a duck hunter from this area then? For me, one hundred percent. For oh, you. Yeah. Before before I met Keaton and these other guys that taught me how to scout and chase them in the fields and really put it to them, that's all I knew. All I knew was to get in a boat and go rough it on this river and just man a post. And just yeah. wait for migration days. And you get what you get, and it's a blast either way because you got breakfast and heaters and right. dogs and buddies. You <laughs> know, boys. I mean, I've had people, we take them out there for their first time. <clears throat> It'll be 50 degrees, sunny, south wind, no wind, and we won't see a duck and we won't shoot a duck. And we're boating back to the cabin mm-hmm. at noon. Literally sat there and done nothing till noon. They're like, this is the greatest thing ever. Mm-hmm. This place is unreal. I love this. Like. This is awesome. Well, I felt and that like, same way after shooting three ducks. That's today. what makes it so special for us. You know, it don't this is what a, we shoot. This is a special area, dude. Yeah, for sure. And so when you put in all that work and you grind and you deal with the boats and you deal with the decoys and this and that, and the water changing and shitty boat ramps, and then finally you have a day that's just a breakthrough. And, like, you don't have to do anything. The ducks just do it absolutely perfect. You don't have to call. You literally just sit there and watch them land on your spinner. And there's days you're just like, man, I don't even want to shoot them ducks. I just want to sit here and watch them. This is, this mm-hmm. is what we've been waiting for, you know? That actually happens a lot. <laughs> Your dad will just be like, let's watch these. Eh, we're going to watch this group. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Do you guys feel like, because <clears throat> this is such a difficult area and it's so weather-based and whatever, do you feel like all the stuff that you guys have learned on this river and then where you've gone from here, that that has played into why you guys have so much success on ducks and geese in general was learning mm. how to duck and goose on here? Not for me. Not for you? For me, it was meeting Keaton and Jeff Fondrak. They taught me about behaviors and how to scout. And, I mean, in our tri-state area right here, South Dakota, Iowa, Nebraska, we have pretty good field hunting. We have really good roosts late in the year, you know, and we don't have a ton of pressure. So we get good opportunities, and we can pick and choose. We don't we don't have to put that pressure on. Of mm-hmm. We found these birds today. We have to kill them tomorrow. We have sure. to. Otherwise, we can kill them will, next Saturday we if we that. want. So so, much. so that's where we differ. Where mm-hmm. I'm from, up in Minnesota, right. you find them the Minnesota's day before. Insane, you gotta dude. fucking you shoot them to. the next day. 
Like I was up there for a week on opener. It was nuts. Yeah, because you were filming for Heinz, right? Yeah. yeah, for the roost. No, and you, I'm, and especially the way that he hunts in early season, oh, you yeah. have to run a gun. Oh yeah, hard. I mean, we had zero X fields, zero good fields. Like we set up in long grass half the week. I was there, and we freaking murdered them. Yeah. If we have that here, we're going pheasant hunting. Yeah, it's brutal, <laughs> bad. Like if we don't have a scout, we ain't touching. But it's trail. not like like we don't have a thousand geese sitting in town looking to go out and fly around. All like new molts flying, going out and flying around. You know, ours are locals or a few molts that have moved down, and they're in their spots, and they know their spots because they've been in the same spots for probably the last fifteen years. Sure, <laughs> they know where no one can hunt them. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like we get lucky and have our few goose shoots early in the year. What do you guys hold on your roost like late season? Which one? I don't know. Let's just say the refuge. We have a we have a good river roost. Hold the mic to your face, bro. We have a good <laughs> river roost of geese that'll hold anywhere from five to ten thousand. Okay. And yeah. sometimes it'll bulk up for a couple of days on a cold front, you know. Well, you were telling me earlier it was like 86,000 mallards on a refuge. And that's the refuge. That's our refuge. And that's okay. just off the river as well. So in my small town, the biggest roost I've ever seen, which is on the river that never freezes, 2,000. Mm. Yeah. Exactly. I've, I've, I've seen that times uh, a lot. 20. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right, right. So, dude, you should see this river like late season when it's there's like ice flowing down it, mm-hmm. and it's the sketchiest thing you've ever seen. Why well, I hear that a lot of people have to get airlifted off the river. It's happened, yeah, yeah. And uh, there'll be sandbars just juiced. I mean, what I mean, are they? What are they so like doing? This, are they just hanging out, just, just waiting? Living. To, it's the only surviving. Water. It's the only water for the most part. Yeah, they're just surviving, dude. There'll be mallards up here all over. Just surviving. That's why no one down south gets mallards. <laughs> they just hang out here. Yeah. Hmm. Fuck you. Yeah. And then our then our season closes like December sixth. So mm. yeah. Yeah, we don't get snow till December. Yeah. And it doesn't freeze solid. I mean, there's not ice fishing ice until January. Like that's no good. These ducks can deal with five degrees, ten degrees, twenty degrees. Oh, they don't care, especially when they sure. have as much green as they have here. They well, got they plenty have plenty of food. They got they have food and open water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. They're not going anywhere. Once they, gotta, they get here, we have ducks until they go back north. Sure. It'll get real cold here. Ice will start flowing down the river. Three days after the season just closed, you know, wow, we just get a huge push of ducks. They'll mm-hmm. hang out for four or five days. As soon as that south wind follows that push and it warms up five, ten degrees, it might still be 25 degrees, but the water's starting to clear up, the river's clearing up, and ducks go back north. Yeah. They'll follow that river right back up as soon as the ice clears. <clears throat> it's crazy. crazy yeah so like so like late season like the, so the say the stretch that we hunted today right that island that we were on that thing will be juiced late season then you go down by the bridge you know that big sandbar that was a, right above yep. the bridge yep that thing will be juiced i was gonna say then that's go, a huge yeah, sandbar then you go down below and there'll be two three more sandbars that are juiced and then they'll just go feed in those black-ass tilled fields right next to the river. And they live there all season because no one can kill them. They're the prick, most prick geese ever, dude. Yeah. Are they, so they're not flying very far to go feed that oh, late no, in the year? no, no, Hopping off the river. Sure. It's always interesting to hear different areas and how the birds act. So, like, by yeah. us, um, they'll do the same thing. They'll maybe fly a mile. And mm-hmm. if it's, like, really bad weather and they can't see, like, their food source that they've been hitting, they will travel, you know, eight miles. However, when I was in Kansas hunting with Bobby Guy, these birds are literally traveling 25 miles I've heard that. every single day to go feed. So I've never seen anything like, our, like that. Our refuge ducks will do that, like, two, three weeks after they get here and they've been shot to shit in the fields around the refuge, you know? like. So you're basing that off of pressure? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like one hundred percent, yeah. Especially around us, because like our refuge, every field around is spoken for. I mean, you're not getting permission anywhere near it. Sure, like not even close. Like, are they leased or is it like family ties or it's like I've been leased? I've been 
I know the guy for 30 years. I've been hunting it <laughs> for this guy. Same families have owned it for the past 20 years, and yeah. they've been dealing with the hunters for 20 years, and it's just a hush-hush lockdown area. Yeah, right. It's just if, like if you don't know somebody. Screwed. Screwed. Yeah, 100%. You pull them with an out-of-state plate, might as well just keep going south. <laughs> yeah, go south. Go to gas station. <laughs> we, we do this. Uh, a quick trip. We do <laughs> we do this. uh this thing on the on the podcast where it's like give a tip like give them just the tip and then give it like a worst and every time i go and scout out of state when i pull into the driveway i half turn my truck so that so they, they can't, can't see, see my license <laughs> yeah. plates until they ask me then i'm honest you know <laughs> but um and it actually works pretty damn well oh, yeah. <laughs> because i'm minnesotan yeah. and yeah. they think oh you're a fucking blue, blue plater, plater right. fuck you <laughs> You know, oh, the land of taxes. <laughs> Eat shit, Derek. South Dakota loves you. <laughs> no, North Dakota is even worse. <laughs> but so I heard there's actually a really cool story on how you guys got the duck camp. Please fill me in. Yeah. So like I was saying earlier, Jim Clark is the guy who built this place. and He actually he bought a big piece of land on this river bottom right where we're at and he sold a lot of it now, and houses have been built around us and whatnot, but still owns a pretty good chunk. Now, Jim died, I want to say, four years back now, and his son graduated with my dad. They grew up together. So my dad was up here in this cabin when he was my age, hanging out with Jim and Jim's son. And after Jim died, his son lives down in Arkansas, and he reached out to my dad, and he said, hey, you know, I'm not going to be able to come up there and check on the place. My mom's too old. She can't look after it. You know, would you be willing to look after it and use it like your own? I know you guys are already duck hunting up there and you spent a bunch of time. So would you look after it and use it like your own? And we were like, absolutely dude. Like we have a duck camp right here where we've been hunting where we want to hunt. That's, that's awesome. And so that's, that's literally all there was to it. And we moved in, moved all our shit in, started hunting out of it. And now it, it's like home to us. You know, it's a special place, and it's, for the most part, free to us other than upkeep. And so we try to share it with as many people as we can and spread the wealth. Live it up while we have it, you know, because it, it might not be a forever thing. It might. Who knows? Who knows how long it'll last, but it's just an old rundown cabin. You know, it's got a lifespan, too, and so we're just living it up while we can, sharing Shit it with could whoever. Shit down tomorrow in the we share it with whoever uh, appreciates it as Never much know. as us. Honestly, I think it could blow down in the no, 50 mile an hour could. wind. <laughs> no, it literally could. <laughs> Dude, the lift, the roof could just go into the river. Hey, well, good news. I am a roofer. Oh, yeah, good. We'll <laughs> I get can that help finished, you out. So. Now, will it be free? No. Well, will I help you out? Yes. <laughs> can well, we pay in green heads? <laughs> you could pay me in green heads, yeah, for the next 15 work years. something. <laughs> for the next 15 fucking years. Yes, you could pay me in green heads, yes. And bacon. Yes, and <laughs> And bacon with a bunch of sand on it. That'd be great. That's a staple on the river. Oh, my God. Um, no, you don't get a breakfast without sand. <laughs> we trade pepper for sand. It's good for the gullet. Good for the gullet? Cleans you out. Derek, can you hand the mic to Derek real quick? Derek has Derek has hunted here a couple times, right? It's my second time. Second time being here. Second time. He has such an innate understanding of, like, He's 26. Okay, go ahead. You're 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 a young kid, right? You're young, but you have three the- years apart. And Joey's like, dude, I'm so much older than you, and you're my son. It's the most outrageous thing. But I am your dad. But that's not what I'm getting at. What I'm well, getting I at is you have so. you have the new school, but you also really, really have that old school mentality, that heritage, and that like. Look at his bibs right now. Right. Yeah, you're wearing something from Camo Retro right now. Logan legitimately said, I brought these for you. You're going to love them. And I was like, how much, sir? Have my money. Right. No, but what I'm getting at is actually a compliment to you. Thank you. And so um, I'm glad you're here for this. So, like, you know more about this area than I do, and I feel like you have some really good questions to ask these two guys. So help me out here because I – I'm kind of blanking right now, but there's just, like, so much going on. I'm just trying to soak it all in. Yeah, so there's a lot of aspects that make this spot so cool. I think my favorite kind of quote or sound bites that I've heard since being exposed to this part of the Missouri is, one, I love when I hear, like, this part's never been dredged, this part's never been mined. Like, it, the sand moves because 
it's windy. And we saw it today. We saw like a reef pull up because the wind was blowing like crazy. Mm-hmm. And you're watching the wind and waves like splash like three feet in the air. And you're like, how do that? There's no rocks out there. Me brain don't understand, but it's really <laughs> freaking amazing. And you realize that like when a n- n- natural phenomenon happens, the sand is moving all the time. When we put, when we picked up the silos today, the marks that they made in the sand, it was like the coolest thing because they'd just been waving in the sand and moving and wiggling in the sand and the current was moving them a little bit and like everything is constantly changing. And I think that's what is the coolest thing is we're watching sand flow down the river and we have no idea if that's going to end up in the water or on a bar or around trees. And like uh-huh. the spot changes so much. I think that's like my favorite thing about it. So if, and another cool thing that if the listeners don't know inside the duck camp, there's a photo of like this old sandbar up on the wall and it's covered in trees and foliage. I would love to hear Chadwick and Keaton talk about like that photo and that sandbar and that stretch of river and like some of like the best hunts that you heard about and then the best hunts that you two have been on there together. Like what are the two best hunts that you heard about? One of the best hunts you heard about and one of the best parts that one of the best hunts that you've been a part of together. I'll start with that island that you're talking about and that picture, that thing is that's cool too. I mean, I'll find myself just staring at that some nights when I'm sitting up there, but it was a marsh. It was an island with a bunch of little tributaries running through it, and it was the coolest thing ever. I mean, it looked like Springfield. It had the cattails and trees and shrubbery growing in it and water rolling all through it. And that marsh, it's actually upriver. It's right where my dad's blind is. You didn't get to see it, but he did. He got to hunt up there and see what's left of it, and it's just sand. There's, there's no marsh left. It's just sand left. But when it was a marsh, it was that way for about 20 years. And Jim Clark who had the cabin before us, built it, he hunted that marsh That's where for his like blind was. 20 years straight. So it's a marsh inside of the middle of the river. It's just a mini marsh, yeah. Yeah, that's sick. I mean, it was probably it was probably 1,000 yards long by 500 yards wide. But the river's Damn. just flooded so many times since then. And it was always just, wiped it, it out. was just off the main channel. The main channel would hug the Nebraska side, and it was kind of in this back bend on the South Dakota side, and so it was protected. And sand constantly just got pushed to it, and the water went the other way. Well, once the river got high enough, we eventually got flooded twice since then. And now, 2011 being the worst one. Nasty. Uh, I mean, that flood was it was, it was detrimental. Highway. That so flood changed so many parked. things that hadn't been changed in a long time. So where your car was parked? 50 feet above the river. Yes. If you would have walked like 10 feet down and took a little bit of a downslope right there, that's where the water was. So it rose essentially 35, 40 feet. So the Nebraska, the Nebraska bank is it, higher in elevation like than where the we South were, Dakota though. side. Yeah. So water was seeping into South Dakota all up and down the Missouri uh, yeah. from the dam to Kansas City. I mean, Omaha, the interstate was closed for 20 miles. Yeah, that's when, like, Because Nebraska the water City had seeped flooded. so far into I was just going to say, is this, was the, the flood <clears throat> with all the cattle stuck in the middle of the yeah. Missouri, was that pretty much yeah. really affecting you guys too? I watched full campers float down the middle of the river. It's fucking nuts. Full campers, double wides, floating down the middle of the river in Sioux City. I saw silos. It was in the spring. Like, there was guys setting snow goose spreads, and the next day they were gone. Nothing left. Fucking nuts. They were out there, like, a week later, like, in Little John boats in the middle of their cornfields, picking up decoys on the next ditch over, like, where it got caught in a fence line or something, like, well, yeah, miserable. it was bizarre. It was bizarre. But, yeah, that that marsh, it was a cool deal. I wish I could have seen it with my own eyes. My dad got to hunt it when he was a kid, and he remembers what it looked like. And I've seen, seen things similar, and so I have an imagination of what it lo- was like. But it had to have just been the coolest feel ever, being in the middle of the river. Back in those days, I mean, there wasn't even houses down there. Right. There was two-track dirt trails. That gravel road you came in on, you said was all windy, that was pretty much a maintenance road. Yeah. And there was just little two-track trails winding through the timber. The whole river bottom was timber. None of those houses were there. I mean, it was that cabin and maybe one other, two other cabins. That was it. You were in the middle of nowhere back then. I still feel like I'm in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And that's the For awesome sure. part about it. Um, I was just up north in uh, Minnesota, and I had four buddies from or three buddies from Kansas come on up. And I told them not to come during my split so that we could hunt and the area that I know and I've scouted consistently 
and they still came up during that time. I was like, fuck it, we got to go up north. And so I found, picked a random lake on a map, and we go out to this giant island in the middle, and we get out there, and it's just a huge cattail marsh in the middle of this huge lake. It was insane. So we set up like a weird spread, and I talked about this already in the podcast, so I'm not going to go too into detail about it, but set out six decoys in like this disgusting muck, and then like four dozen Canada goose floaters and mallard floaters out on the lake, and we decoyed ducks to both sides. It was fucking cool, and we just like split the difference. It was like 20 feet to either side, and you could easily decoy ducks, but it's so cool because there is so much history in the sport, and I think that's what's so cool about it is like it's such a social event that there's more stories told about it versus like deer hunting or turkey hunting because that's more of like a social, like a one-on-one deal. And so um, I think it's so cool that we're able to pass along those stories and like the history of it because of that. So like that lake, you know, like the water was up way higher at one point, you know, 200, 300 years ago, and then it receded. And then all of a sudden there's like this land mass in the middle and it held water inside of that. So it's kind of like the same thing on the Missouri. It's just so fucking cool. And it's like we're watching or you guys are watching the evolution of this river. And I'm sure in 20 years, the river's going to be completely fucking different. Oh, God, I yeah. I would imagine. It changes year to year. Like, right. we'll have one spot where our blind is, like, last year. It was shit this year. Like, cut bank, like, straight down, like, 10 feet of water right there. Like, no way you're setting decoys right there. Right. Just totally different. So, what's... So I didn't even tell you when we were up there, but when you look straight out from the cabin, that far bank that you see is an island. It's a big island. It's... Oh, really? Two miles long. It it's looks two like miles a long and fucking, a half mile wide. It looks like a bank. Right. Yeah. And so there's, there's certain a, years I could take my boat and I can drive all the way around that. We can drive circles around it. And there's other years, no chance. It's choked you off on get the other up side. Or down the far side. Interesting. Because the, the it's like the main current side diverts. and then not main current. And that's just essentially the amount of snow we get and how much and water how much they rain. Release, how much water they can afford to release because of the rain and snow above. Mm hmm. That's what, like, in 2011, they didn't lower the river. They didn't prepare for as much. That's why they drop it down to 12,000. It's because they're preparing for, like, if they get a shit ton of snow up Mm. north, you know. That all melts, comes down the river, (coughs) floods us. (laughs) And so, forgive me, I don't know my geography that well with rivers. Does the Mississippi pour into here? No. They run run Missouri just runs all the way through north and south Dakota. Montana. Okay, so you're starts, getting all of their snow starts mm-hmm. as a snow melt trickle out of the spring. mountains. Yeah, all so you're getting quite a bit right. of okay. But so we that makes have sense what, why they four dams between us and them. Yeah, there's a bunch of dams, so like they can control it. It's just they messed up. One and that's time. the Army Corps of Engineers, right? Right. Okay. Not many people like them. Right. We no. do not. Like Everyone them. I've talked to when I've I don't we, think they like us. No, I don't. I don't think they, they care for hunters. us waterfowlers. They hate duck hunters. I swear. Every time like migration's coming, about to get a cold front. Oh yeah, let's drop the river. If you're in the Corps of Engineers and want to come on the Midwest <laughs> Flyways <laughs> podcast, it, please reach out because it would probably save yeah. the story of we need some. We input. need a conversation between the Corps what of happens? Engineers and the River Rats of the United States of America. <laughs> Association. <laughs> RRUSA. <laughs> so what's the, so I'm sure it'll be different for the both of you, but what's the craziest hunt you guys have had on this river? I'm going to let Keaton start this because we, we, we can about agree on the biggest concentration we've ever seen. Because you guys get a huge push of birds here. This is a huge concentration. This is where they stay I for mean, a we while. We got a pretty good funnel flyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So are they, uh, and sorry to preface this question a little bit, but they, when you get birds, is it purely because of weather or do you get a lot of calendar migration as well? Lately, like the last five years, seems like it's strictly weather. Really? But I mean, we always get our few trickle mallards early and I mean, you'll shoot a few, you'll see a few, but it's like nothing worth getting excited about until you see snow coming through the Dakotas. Then it's like, yeah, let's go, boys. Put it this way. It's not what it used to be. Right. I mean, I feel like I've been hunting it for, what, six years with you guys probably? Yep. I've had so many good shoots on that river. Our favorite, my some of my favorite days are 
when we sit there till 10 o'clock and we don't see a duck yeah and it's a blue sky day and we know birds are pushing i mean there's gonna be something eventually and we just wait and wait and wait well like back and all in of a the sudden day. you're half asleep and here comes your first 50 rack of greenheads that one time it yeah god because you're, you're done you're done with your five man 30 minutes later it's insane because like you won't see a duck until 10 o'clock in the morning and I'm talking like back in the day, if it was 20 degrees and there was a northwest wind and it was a blue sky, we're over. we're gonna neck them. And but is it at that 10 o'clock mark or is it right at sunrise? No, never at sunrise. Really, the um, only time it is is if the birds get here overnight. Yep. And you get to and your spread, freshies, and 400 birds if, fly out of your spread, and there's freshies just cruising there ever. I mean, those are like you walk out of the cabin in the morning. And that's you, typically when they push in the dark. You yeah, you go, you, know, you walk out to take your morning piss because since septic tank don't work, so you got to piss outside. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty sick. Got a porta pot now though. We're oh yeah, we're good. Class. At least you have shit in style now. <laughs> but anyways, if you walk out in the morning and take your piss and you're freezing fucking cold and you hear snow geese flying over your head. It's fucking game on. Really? Because if the snow geese are moving, there's a pretty damn good chance there's mallard ducks with them. And whoever takes that first pee comes back in. Snows are moving. Let's go, boys. Get the fuck up. It's it's fucking time to go. We got to get out there early. (laughs) And it never happens early. (laughs) Like, have we ever decoyed a flock of mallards at shooting light? Rare. Never. It's rare. They all go out to feed or something. They just disappear until 10 o'clock. And then from 10 to, like, 2, it's just, like, every 5, 10 minutes, there's wads going down the river. You got a high body. I mean, you got to call. That's That was another question I was going to ask you guys. There's days where you have to fucking call, and there's days where you literally sit on your ass and look out the hole of the blind and wait for them to be backflapping over the decoys. Mm. But, like, on, on average, because uh, we get asked a lot, like, what are your calling cadences? What are you doing to call down birds, whether it's ducks or geese? You know, but what well, I've found consistently, especially when I heard you, the first time I heard you guys call this morning, you guys were barking. Mm-hmm. Barking. And that's because we have it was loud so calls. windy. Yeah. It was, it was loud. But like the. I feel like we always call out on the river, though. We can usually like, afford to. It's just it, so it, wide open. It's though. very situational, but we can usually afford to call out. And the other thing is, is these pushing birds that we're killing, they're up there. Oh. I mean, they're they're up there. Yeah. And like, I mean, what's up there? Three, four hundred yards? Like, if it's a blue sky what, what and you see them, at? you're lucky. Yeah. I mean, they're that high. Like, you're seeing a flash in the sky. You see the white wings. Yeah. 1,100 feet is no no thing. I don't know. No. But so it's about like. 400 yards? Like, 350 yards? Yeah. They'll be so high up there, you can't tell what they are with binos. Yeah. And that's like if you see them. Right. But, I mean. That's my favorite way to On the river, though, it's more about when you call, not how you call. Mm. You know what I mean? You can be very subpar with a duck call. Yes. And if you time it right, you understand when to do it. Yes. Well, it's like they're going to see it in the video. You know, if we if we shoot ducks tomorrow, I'll I'll loop in today and tomorrow into one video. But there's I love how you're like give them a sec. We're, you're like we're gonna give them a sec. Sounds good. So mm-hmm. they like came and checked us out. We could have shot at them, mm-hmm. but it's like no one wants to take that shot. And they start looping back out, and you see them kind of like start to move to the right a little bit, like they want to kind of come check us out. Let's, You're like, we're going to give them a second. We just don't like calling at them too soon because then they circle back over top of us exactly. again. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, you got to let them, if they're, 99% of the time they circle behind you, right? And then once they get out there, you want to let them get out there. I mean. So that their second pass is lower. And right into the decoys, yes. Correct. Like, if they're already low enough and come, like, if their first pass, they were locked and bombing, you know? and they didn't get low enough fast enough, and they got to make that second swing. That second swing, when you let them go out, if you let them get out there, like out over the water, and then you hit them with a fucking wah, 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 wah. Like, far a, like just a loud, long, <coughs> drawn out wah, 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 wah. 
They'll crank like a, so like a, hard. Like a pleading call. Yes. They will crank yes. so hard. So then how far are you usually letting them get out? Because I, I literally get asked this question so much. And it, like as far as you can. Hundred, hundred fifty, whatever. It for it's us more like, for us it varies on the spot. Yeah. Now our biggest thing out here is there's so much water around us and there's so many places where they can land that getting them to land inside your fifty yard range. When they could very easily land at 110, very comfortably. In the fast current. I mean, that's a big part of it. They do that a lot. And another thing is they don't like working over the sand. They want to stay over the water. So anytime you want to try to bring them over the sand and they have to come over the sand and then finish into the water, they're only going to be pushing up, up, It's more like you let them get out there until they're lined up with the wind. And then you hit them. Oh, sure. And then they can turn. And then they can come right in. You know what I mean? So they're lined up. Because you know how ducks like to line up fucking perfectly. If they're not lined up, they'll pick up again and go back around. And If they have wind. Right. Yeah, exactly. And if you can see them good, I mean, you got a good eye on them, you can see when they're on that teeter point. They'll get out there, and you can see almost when they're asking you to do it just mm. by their action. They're, they're thinking, all right, am I going to yeah. go straight? It's like they left, slow down. Turn right bit. or cruise away. Right when they hit that little buffer, you'll see some head turns, this and that. You'll see a little dip out of one of them. Mm-hmm. Give it to them. I like to explain it as, like today, I saw them like teetering to the right, but then also what I've noticed in the last two years, like I've really tried to explain it in words because it's like, you know, people ask you, how do you know when to call ducks, right? So then you really have to start thinking about it. It's like, right. you just have to fucking see it, right, you right, know? Right, right. Trial and error. I learned, we both learned from Jeff Fondrak, who was like one of the starters of DOA decoys and... So, like, he's, like, one of the original guys that we've started hunting with and absolute can turn a duck on a dime. Like, it's unbelievable. He's mm-hmm. killed a lot of ducks. Yes. He's been doing it a lot. And he time. knows exactly when to hit them, like, every time. And so, like, that's how we learned. And he's like, let him get out there, let him get out there, let him get out there. Wah, 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 wah. And you follow that with a fast one. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> they love that. Really? Yeah. So what I, for me, it was growing up in these boxes. So my uncle's got a box too, hunts down river from us. So no one knows what a box is. So help me out here. (laughs) A box is most typically like a four to five man blind, just framed up with two by fours and plywood. It's got a bench in it. Parked on the river. You got a flap that pushes down and it's heavy enough to where the wind won't blow it over. Leave it out there. You leave your cooker in it. Sometimes throw your decoys in it, whatever. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll put it in a boat. Got propane and load it out. Other times it's just light enough. Four guys can pick it up, set it in a boat. So those are our permanent boxes. We call them. Mm-hmm. Okay. But hunting with my uncles, growing up as a little kid, I mean they're they're good at it and they've been they're good callers and this and that. And I mean I pretty much just learned from watching so many flocks of ducks get worked. Just don't call it ducks when they're locked up coming in. And don't call out them when they're looking at you or on top of you. Because they so will now, pick you apart so fast. So now when they're looking at you, right, is that them flying right at you or is that them? Because they're prey, technically. So prey have their eyes on the side of their head, uh-huh. right? So that's why it's so nice when they're coming right at you. They can't necessarily see you. Uh-huh. However, when they're flying at you on a crosswind, their eye is pointed right at you. So do you mean right. with them flying right at you or do you mean them like give it some context a little bit of both if they're flying right at you i feel like they can zone in on hearing it they can they can pick out exactly where that sound's coming from and the same goes and then directly on and then they turn their head like this you know and then they're coming in and then they turn their head like this so they can see you yeah they point their ear hole at you yeah okay so when they're on top and when they're coming towards you flying right at you or when they're we don't ever call out them on top you have one guy look out the blind when they're behind us you hit them back there, turn them, get them back out front, let them get out there, hit them as far as you can get them out there without losing them. I mean, you want them to get out there so that they can, you can hit them, they can turn, they can lock up, and they come straight in. One one thing I try to explain to people when they ask me this question is watch their wing beats. So you watch them as they're flying, right. and they're taking flaps, right? Like their wing is going up and it's going down. Mm-hmm. When they're flying away from you, when you're waiting to hit them to come back, um, their wing like it's their like wing tips, their yeah. wing tips are doing this instead of like a full flap. Yeah, yeah. And they're just waiting, waiting for that up. for that slutty slew slut mm-hmm. 
to say, <laughs> you know, and then they do that 180 and they turn. the old bitch. So that's, like, I, I, that's probably one of my favorite things to duck hunting, hitting a duck on the turn, on the corner. It feels so good. Oh, when they all turn and you're just like, <sighs> like you know, I sit down I sit in the down. blind. I don't have to call yeah. them anymore. I like just sit back they're down coming. in the blind, grab my gun. I'm like, Just right, by what ready. they just did 100 yards out, I know we're good. Yeah. Right. So that is really, that feels super good. The only thing to me that feels better is when they're not centering up. <laughs> when they're not centering up, and, that and then last you just minute. and you just do a fucking disgusting Cajun squeal, and they're like, "Oh shit, she's yeah. eating something," and then they center up for everyone. It's like, oh yes, yeah. Dude. Have the guy on, there on the right. Have the guy on the left do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just center them up, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. like the coolest thing to me um, is when you have like synergy in the blind. You have that chemistry where yeah. it's like, no, 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 we need to center him up for everyone. And it's like, okay, that guy knows when to squeal. He's really good at that. This guy's really good at, you know, feed chuckling. This guy knows when to call. He's the lead caller. He's the barker, whatever. I'll be honest. You don't need a feed chuckle. I, I think it helps, like, center him up. Because just from all the old timers that I've hunted with, like, back in the day when I used to hunt down in Riverton, this is a big refuge in southern Iowa bunch of old timers i used to hunt at a couple clubs with them and this is what they always told me you don't need that shit that's just fancy shit (laughs) and you you never heard it in the blind down there we fucking smash ducks Mm -hmm. like all you need is that five seven note cadence on the corners i'm I'm dead serious to kill ducks that's all you need Mm. (laughs) yeah and then a fast one follow it i mean just switch that up and that's solid. I, honestly, I believe. You know, and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna follow you up with. Unless you're in like a corn, old. and if you're in a cornfield, you don't need to call at all. Mm. If it's an X, yeah. See, I'm serious. We differ on that no. because where I'm at, you need to. No, you just throw your spinners out. So like, um, like we do a lot more. Uh, you know, a lot of people say you can't traffic ducks. I think you absolutely can. Okay, if you're trafficking ducks, yes. Yeah, so, you so but, like, say you find a field with 200 mallards hitting it, but there's 2,000 in the area, and they're flying over that area. Mm-hmm. You need to call those fucking ducks, you know? Sure, I mean, it's situational, but you can. Right. But I'm still not calling at them on top of me. If I am, I'm calling at them on the corners, letting them get out in front of us good ways. Mm-hmm. And Don't the, let him fool you. The lanyard's still on when we're in a cornfield chasing dogs. <laughs> well, it is, but I'm just telling you, don't overcall it, Mallards. Like, these guys behind us last week, fuck, they pissed me off. Like, every flock that come at us, you just hear them highballing behind us, trying to call them off of us. Mm. I'm like, fuck you guys, and they come right into us. <laughs> it's like, you don't need to do Right. <laughs> you, I mean, you don't need to call. You can, and it can help. But there's times like when you're out in a cornfield and there's mallards coming, they're coming. I mean, you sure. see spinners and they're hungry and they're coming. So, so for all these new people getting into it, you know, like all these 15 to 20 mm-hmm. year olds who are just getting into it for their first time and are very discouraged, like waterfowling is one of those things where you need a lot of shit. Yeah. You know, you need layouts. A lot of times you need look boats. At my depending shed on, we're sitting I know, look <laughs> at your shed we're in, you know. Dangerous hobby. You know, oh, yeah. so like it's all these strange. kids, I know a lot of people are very intimidated to get into the sport, mm-hmm. right? So for all these kids who are trying to like do what they can, right? They don't have a shitload of money. They spend $100 on calls, mm-hmm. whatever. And then they go out in the field, they find a good scout, whatever. They have their layout blinds, decoys, whatever. Um, what's the best advice that both of you guys could give to young kids learning how to duck and goose call? Without like the trial and error, right? Like give them some success without knowing everything right away. What's the best advice you can give them on calling? Make friends. (laughs) Make Make friends. friends. But my other my other big piece on friends that want to scout. All calling, (laughs) in my opinion, is situational. It's unique to every hunt. It's unique to every setup, your location, what the birds are doing. I mean, it's all up to the weather and. What kind of mood these birds are in? Are they hungry? Are they cold? Do they need to be there? Do they not need to be there? Yeah. Stuff like that. It's and completely sure. situational. That's like I said on the river. Like some days you don't have to call and some days you have yep. to fucking bark. Yep. Mm-hmm. So so picture a kid who doesn't know any of those scenarios. Right. What's like the, the, the do-all, right? 
Like the answer to everything. I'm just trying to think of back like when I started. If you're watching, mm-hmm. if you're watching birds, if you're hunting, you're watching birds, and they're just passing you. You're not getting any attention. They're not even giving you looks. It's time to call. I mean, it can't hurt. Blow some calls, make some noise, and watch reactions and see see what happens. You but know? you're essentially saying less is more. Less is definitely oh, more. Oh, yeah. Okay. You put the right scout on, you can leave the calls in the truck. That's exactly what I was just going to say. Is It starts with your scouting, 100%. Yeah, because, like, we've all been doing it for a very, very long time, right? right? And we, we, you grew up doing it with your family. Did you grow up doing it with your family? I or? started, yes. Yeah. So, like, you, you didn't, you weren't picking up a call. You were just literally soaking it up like a sponge. There mm-hmm. are so many kids nowadays who are learning off of YouTube right. how mm-hmm. to do it. They're like, oh, my God, that's fucking cool. Yeah. yeah. I want to do that, too. So, these are the kids. They don't have that role model. Like, they don't have that person to learn from so that's what i'm trying yeah, to. yeah i had one of those right, right. We, were, we were lucky like my dad know? and his best friend like we'd go float down the river and shoot wood ducks every weekend yeah you drift yeah that was our favorite thing to do that's sick they're, that's so much fun there's snags on the side and then woodies would be sitting up in the trees they have a guy in the front with binoculars just banking checking the banks and one guy just <laughs> in the back floating we just did take like four hours to float from boat ramp to boat ramp. <laughs> That's so fucking cool. But I'd say like when I first started field hunting, it definitely was scouting. I mean, that's when we started scouting and deciding where we wanted to hunt. I mean, you didn't get on the field. That's where you had to start. I mean. You want to chase them or you want to wait for them? It's, well, it's kind of what it is. I was, when I grew up, the... This is what my dad's friend always told us, that one out of every five hunts is going to be successful, and that's just how you just have to accept it because they didn't scout. They'd just go out and set up in a random cornfield, and one out of five times you'd have geese fly over. Sure. You know what I mean? God, I could not do that. No, and then, like, when I met, like, the Vondracks and, like, started getting into it more and figuring the shit out, I was like, fuck that. Like, one out of five hunts, fuck that. Like, I, right. want, I want four out of five hunts. Right. And then I pretty much fell in love with scouting. <laughs> sure. Hey, guys, this is Cal Ness with Midwest Flyways. I just want to say thank you for listening to this two-part podcast with Keaton Rowe, Sam Chadwick, and Derek Helms. We will have part two coming out next week for you. Sorry for the little hiatus we've been on. Obviously, with the holidays, we've been super busy, but we are back in full force. Going to have podcasts coming out every single week. We appreciate you guys for all your support. Check out our YouTube. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, and we will see you guys soon.